himself, Mr. Scary, George Lynch. How are you, sir? Hi. Uh, well, it's hard to know where to even start, but it's just such a great pleasure to have you on the show. And when I found out you had a new album coming, I said, we've got to get George on here. We've got to get George on here. So uh, to start with, I guess we better start with what's new and then go backwards. So um, you've got the new End Machine Phase 2 album coming out. Yeah, April 9th, I believe. Yeah. And they just dropped uh, their video today, I think. Where, uh, Crack the Sky video came yeah. out. Well, I was listening to it. I was really lucky because uh, I've heard the whole album. And I've got to say, it's such a it's a great album, first of all. And secondly, I think it feels... My pleasure. And it feels like um, less, maybe a step away, a progression from the bluesier side of the first album to something more 80s, you know, something more familiar to fans of like Doc and the Lynch Mob. Was that your intention or is that just organic? Oh, it was definitely our intention. We were very... Yeah uh sort of fixated on the idea of doing that uh, what, what you just mentioned so yeah it, yeah we uh, i thought the you know I, I, you described the first one as a little bluesier i think it was and it was also a little more 70s and and had yeah. like this disparity of different elements scattered throughout the record so there wasn't this kind of this this focus there or this connecting commonality throughout the all the songs yeah. that tied it all together and glued it to the other wasn't that it was interesting to listen to and, mm. you know, it was a little self-indulgent here and there. <laughs> uh, so we decided to tighten all that up, like you said, and, and make it a little more focused and, 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 and really focus on the hooks. Yeah. And making it, you know, uh, gratifying, but also digestible and accessible. You know. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, th I mean, as soon as I heard the, um, uh, the rising intro into Blood and Money, I thought this is it's familiar in the best kind of way because it felt like, you know, something you would get out of uh, lock and chain or that kind of, you know, something from the eighties, but it felt like a contemporary version of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at, at some point, you know, I mean, I do a lot of different projects and write a yeah. different songs for, for different things. And at some point you kind of like, well, you know, you got to give people what they want. I, and I get mm. I that with, I mean, there's a thing about musicians, you know, we want to do everything and we want to try all yeah. these experiment and we're pulled in different directions and we want to keep expanding our horizons and all that. And that's all, that's all well and good. But, you know, you also have a, I think an obligation and responsibility mm. to serve the people that have served you well and allowed you to do what you do. And that's, and, and you've, and you've created a certain thing and sold people a certain thing on a, on a certain formula or whatever sound, whatever style. And, uh, and, and to a certain extent, you become a slave to that. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, mm. you all have jobs and we have to grow up and be responsible and do what we're supposed to do and give yeah. people what we want. Um, you know, you don't want to be this reluctant astronaut that's always running away from yeah. people, <laughs> you know, the, the thing that you have created, you know, I get it. We're artists and, and there's that part. So, uh, we made a concerted effort to to do that on this record. I said, like, let's really give people what what a, a majority of people really are kind of screaming for, which is yeah, whatever that was. And so to do that, we 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 thought, well, we're not going to copy what we've done in the past, which is very hard to do, by the way. Mm. Uh, but it, we're going to try to put ourselves in the mindset that we were in. Uh, and 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 what was that formula that we had and what were we yeah. what were our priorities and how did what was the process? How did we write? Yeah. And that's what we did. 
and I think with good results, pretty good results. I think they're definitely great results. I mean, that sound of you and uh, Jeff Pilsen, you know, together locked in like that is something just no one, no one else can replicate that. No one else can get that vibe on record. I like to say that we're like an old married couple that can finish each other. <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you have that. It kind of takes me on to the next question: Was um, ha has your approach to writing music changed over the years? Um. Fundamentally, no. I mean, it's just like if, if you weren't, if I wasn't Skyping with you right now, I'm sitting here with my guitar on, um, uh, you know, all I do is, is sit here and, I, and, I, and if I practice and I get an idea, that idea goes on my, my little voice memo thing on my, that we all have on our iPhones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got hundreds, hundreds of ideas saved and those all just become songs. And that's the only differences in the, in the, in the 70s. I would use a cassette, and in you know the 80s, I'd use a, a Fostex X15 four-track mm. or a little Walkman, Sony Walkman Pro. Yeah. Uh, you know, different methods of recording those ideas, but it's all basically the same, and those would be seeds for new songs. I mean, it really hasn't changed. I mean, I, I you know, I I I, I, talk, I talk about that with with, for instance, Jeff and I discussed that, and we go, you know, white. Why can't we be like real songwriters, like in Nashville? <laughs> we write the melody first. Yeah. Not the guitar. Don't put the guitar away. Or, or sit in front, sit down on a piano. Yeah. Like real sound, like Bernie Toppin and Elton John. Oh yeah, yeah. Beatles or the Stones or, you know, like really big giant real songwriters that are professional and paid yeah. to do this kind of thing, and are really good at it. And it's like a science. Like why can't we be like that? Because, you know. This is the writing with this is constricting in some ways. It's, it's limiting yeah. because the fretboard is just kind of laid out in a certain way that yeah yeah. You know, it's not like it's not like short, you know, and it's and it's not like a voice. So I would like to do that naturally. Yeah, and maybe maybe the uh, maybe the argument is you know if it's not broken, don't fix it. Hmm. Do what you do. Don't. Do what you do well instead of doing what somebody else does badly. Yeah, I can get, I get that. I don't know. Well, a couple of uh, looking at it, I guess. Yeah, I was listening. I mean, you've been very busy recently because I was listening to the album that you and uh, Jeff did together, the Heavy Hitters cover record, mm -hmm. and I was really enjoying that. And there were some songs there that caught me off guard. I, you know, I never suspected, you know, I never expected to hear you doing a Champagne Supernova and all that kind of stuff. But it came out really, really well. So, I, you know, it was so fun to do. And that basically that yeah. was the thing of that, you know, we didn't have to write. We didn't have to, we were talking about writing, but we didn't yeah. have to do that. We didn't have to sit down and go, well, what's our formula and, 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 and where are we going to create something from nothing? And it was already there. So we yeah. put all our energies into just having fun with it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, we had to change it stylistically and then come up with new ways to play the parts and stuff. But, you know, that's not that hard. And so, it was just really like, I would say, more enjoyable than doing a traditional record <laughs> because we're having such a good, you know, a, a lot of fun with it. I mean, the hardest thing was picking the songs, you know, that was mm. the biggest challenge. Once we once we had them picked out, it was it was uh, and, and, and it was also kind of fun because you don't know how it's going to come out, you know, until yeah, you for sure. it, you know? I mean, how should we do that? I mean, there's so many roads and avenues you could take on a song like. Uh, 
the Joan Osborne song. Mm. And uh, I was, uh, I have to admit, I was uh, influenced by idea that I brought the mm-hmm. jet. Uh, I wanted to do it perfect circle stuff. Ah. Uh, uh, um, uh, their version of uh, the John Lennon song, Imagine. Yeah. So I was like, that's that's what we're going for. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not, I admit it, you know, I mean, it was, you know, we're pulling ideas from other people and stylistically and stuff. And uh, that's what made it fun. Because yeah. I never cover band so i kind of got to live out my cover band fantasies <laughs> it was a great record i mean uh you know you and like you said you and jeff have got you know such a long history together of writing and of course being in bands together i wanted if i can i wanted to take you back to a couple of tours in the 80s if you have any highlights from like these tours if that you can remember i'd love to hear them if that's cool with you of uh that's because cool. there's <laughs> There's, there are some in um, that Jeff was talking about. I heard him on a podcast the other day saying that the uh, tour with uh, uh, Dawkins and uh, Judas Priest on the Turbo tour in '86. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think the best Dawkins ever was was yeah. on the Aerosmith tour. Okay. We were a really strong support for Aerosmith. Um, we we really made that package a very kind of full package. I mean, people came to see us. It wasn't just like, oh, the lights are still on, get a hot yeah, yeah, yeah. band, go buy a T-shirt. It was like we were trying to be the headliner, and we yeah. had been on the road for so many years that we had really gotten to the point where everything was clicking. We were firing yeah. a piston. So that was our peak, I really think. So that was very enjoyable and and gratifying it felt like we're okay now we're ready to step up to the big time now after yeah. this, ready to hit that be a headliner um that's what we were working for for that whole eight years you know it was, it was yeah, yeah. point and i finally felt we had arrived or very close was, to was that like was that after aerosmith cleaned up like the done with mirrors or a little bit later that kind right. of we're not allowed to uh no alcohol was allowed anywhere even oh, on the right no crew members or band members could be found at a bar in the town or you would get kicked wow. off. Wow. Um, you were to stay in your dressing rooms. You know, there's no beer allowed <laughs> in your dressing room or on stage. I mean, it was very, very strict. And, and That's I, crazy. That, yeah. Because um, so, I heard the DNR tour with them, like the same similar, like 87, 88, and they had problems because they were, of course, they were completely wild at the time. And they said, like, Stephen and Slash hanging out was not what management were going crazy. Well, I mean, I don't know why they would hire a band like Guns N' Roses then to be on the tour. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, Guns N' Roses is going to clean up their act for this tour. Sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the one you did that um, I saw some videos of the other day was the Monsters of Rock tour, the 88. It was like you, Metallica, and Van Hagar. Oh, well, that was pretty much the pinnacle of it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was the last big uh, tour of that style, I think, and, you know, that kind of yeah giant rock uh, arena tour i think that was the last one mm. so you know kind of end of an era nobody nobody knew it at the time no but um and we were misplaced on that bill kind of yeah. good for us i guess in a way but we were we were billed over metallica yeah hadn't quite gone over the, the edge yet you know to where yeah, they, yeah. we had the same management company yeah prime uh, yeah and uh, so uh, we were very fortunate to get that spot. But 
I'll tell you, the, mm-hmm. the, the thing that I will never understand about the management and that tour and, and the yeah. band was that in their insane thinking, uh, the management called a meeting <laughs> to started yeah. and informed the band that Don was going to be leaving the band, or, well, <laughs> oh. breaking the band up and trying to just hire us as musicians yeah, yeah. on the band. Or else, if that didn't work, we didn't agree to that. He was just going to leave, keep the name, and hire him and kick us out. And that was before the tour started? Before the tour started. Literally, date before it started. Um, And, you know, when I operate, or at least then, operated out of uh, a sense of commitment and on a mission, you know, this thing as a family, as friends, as a band of brothers. Yeah. And that was really the struggle between Don and I. Don was kind of out for himself, used people as best he could. And I don't mean I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but it's no. just he's built. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because we succeeded because of him and his mm-hmm. and, and that mentality, the way he, he views the world and the way he operates. Uh, you know, he's able to do things that I personally couldn't do. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when I wouldn't live with myself. Yeah. He did those uh, compunctions, so he, you know. For better or worse, I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I can't, I can't even say, but you know, we benefited from it. So, yeah. that. but it also is double-edged sword. It worked against us in the sense that, you know, I felt, you know, we split everything up equal. We all work hard to the best of our abilities. We all contribute what we have to contribute. And a rising tide floats all boats and we all mm. win. Um, and we have this sense of like we did it together and there's enough for us to all to, to go around. Yeah. Um, Don saw the writing on the wall and, and and with the manager's help decided that, you know, he wanted the whole thing for himself uh, because we were up for renegotiation on our contract. And that's where you want to be in this career. When you build yeah. yourself up and, and, and you and you double your record sales, every record for three consecutive yeah. years, and then your contract ends and you have to renegotiate that contract, that is exactly where you want to be. Because United. Yeah. For life. When you renegotiate, you're renegotiating from a, a position of strength, and then then you're now you're Motley Crue, now you're Van, <laughs> now you're set for life. Yeah. Um, and we all were looking at that, and we'd all worked for that, and we all earned that, and we should have yeah. been like patting each other on the back and in a really good place. Instead, Don took that as well. I'm going to take this all for myself and fuck these guys. Yeah. I had to go on stage knowing that every night. Damn. It depressed me. And I kind of just fell into drugs and alcohol and just went out and went through the motions. Yeah. But back to the eyes. And I looked like the idiot, you know. And it was quite dispirited. I mean, I had some good shows, but I was, uh, you know, maybe just faking it to a certain extent because I was definitely dispirited. Yeah. Uh, all this for this. And now I have to go out and put on a face. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just sort of like a wear my heart on my sleeve kind of guy and I yeah, it was yeah. for me to do it was very depressing and all the way I deal with it was drugs and alcohol well I uh, saw somebody the other day say like uh, I thought a very funny description was it said that Dawkins was the great band of the 80s the platinum records MTV and even Freddy Krueger couldn't save <laughs> yeah yeah you know we were uh, you know self-destructive in that sense you know I mean you know it's very, very disappointing. I mean, to this day, you know, I mean, it's water under the bridge. Been a lot of yeah. years. We're all doing fine, and 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 it was a, you know, I, I'm a, a, a hopefully optimistic, 
cautiously optimistic person and mm. everything's glass half full. So look, I've been able to do all these wonderful music projects, play with wonderful people, have a nice career, play guitar for a living. I, I respect that. I, I yeah. try to honor the gift I've been giving and work really hard at it and, and not be a spoiled little brat. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. My family and they're all healthy and happy. And Thank God. Are you surprised? Are you surprised when you see? Because I know you're quite active on Instagram and guitar on Instagram, that kind of stuff. Are you surprised when you see these young guys and girls who are into your legacy of what you did with Dokken and it's alive and strong? When you see people playing those kind of that kind of music and those kind of riffs, that it's still going strong in another generation? Well, I, I, yeah, it, it mystifies me that when I, when I <laughs> see that or hear about that because I, I, I think, well, that. I don't. I don't see the '80s like that. I mean, genuinely, I don't. Yeah. I, I see the '80s as sort of this aberration. I mean, I was a huge mm -hmm. fan. Grew up with, you know, late '60s rock and, yeah, and yeah. rock, and and that for me held the promise of, you know, a even brighter future musically. Um, yeah. I was I just, you know, to me it was just so powerful and said everything. And how do you, how do you beat Zeppelin and Hendrix and yeah. Jeff Beck and Cream and the Yardbirds and Crosby, and Nash and Dylan and you know everybody else, Mountain and UFO and yeah, yeah. Purple and Robin Trower and on and on, and all that Bad Company, Free. I mean, all that stuff. It's just you know Humble Pie. It's all right there. What else do you need? You know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a thousand other bands. And uh, and then to me, yeah, you know. I, I, I thought that probably the 80s was the most vacuous period for rock music, with maybe the exception of the punk scene. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are some exceptions, of course, you know, I mean, you know, but generally speaking, I, I, I'm trying to be objective here. Yeah, yeah. Were yeah. you impressed when Grunt came along or was that a kind of just what is this feeling? Was it like more of the 70s? Because those guys grew up through Zeppelin, too, but they were taking it their own way, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I felt it was valid uh, uh, once I got my head wrapped around it a little bit. It definitely got, uh, you know, didn't see it coming. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I try to see the value in everything, you know. Mm. One of those, I'm waiting for the 80s to come back, guys, except, you know, it will be coming back in 2080. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, the angst and, and transparency and honesty of that, of the grunge movement was you know, very inspiring and valid. And I mm. get that. Yeah. And made us look silly in comparison. <laughs> you know, um, we were very, you know, the 80s scene was very superficial. And, and, yeah. and but there was know, so much well, weight to some of, I mean, you guys especially, but some of those guys, when you look back at them now, like you or yourself, Ingve, I don't know, I'm trying to think, I mean, Randy Rose, those guys, like still, I don't, I personally don't think some of those, those guys are ever going to be taught technically or in the songwriting. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it was kind of a dead end, you know, it, it just didn't yeah. leave where to go. I mean, especially when you yeah. talk about guitar playing speed. I mean, uh, it worked itself into a box, into a corner. I mean, even if you got the Ingve, it's just like, okay, well, <laughs> you Pelletary and you got the, you know, this guy and that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't go faster than this. A 64th note. So now what are you going to do? You know, build a robot that plays fast. Why? I mean, and now yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulls for self-indulgent guitar solos. Yeah. Uh, what about how, Hotel California and Stairway to Heaven? You know, uh, I just want to hear some Tom Petty and some ZZ Top, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, 
worked our way into a box and then, you know, we got spanked, you know, with the grunge movement and taught us a lesson. And, and then there's a lot of reevaluation and reconfiguring. And I think sometimes we're just kind of, kind of just afloat in the ocean, you know, without a rudder. Yeah. <laughs> kind of going here and there. There's, there's thing for everybody right now, but there's no rock stars anymore. And, you know. It's a shame. Well, I mean, you're thankfully you're still here, so there's still at least one. <laughs> but, um, Whatever that. Yeah. And Billy Gibbons. But oh. I was gonna ask you. Um, I was gonna ask you. Speaking of guitar, I, I saw you, you played a, a guest spot with the original. You were on the original G3 tour, but not the whole tour. But with Satriani, Vi, I think Eric Johnson. You played a show with them, right? So I was gonna ask you about that whole scene of. Mm -hmm. uh, I I just came up and did one little walk on guest thing uh, when they came to Phoenix because I lived in Arizona at the time. Yeah, yeah. They did that, I guess, regularly as they like, went into yeah. different towns. What guitar player lives in town? Let's bring them out. Yeah. Um, but I've never been asked to do a G3 thing or anything like that. Would um, you do one? Well, I mean, I guess it would depend. Um, I don't really see myself as that kind of guitar player. You know, yeah. I, I'm more of a band oriented guy. Mm. And again, I'm not a I'm not a school theory guy. Yeah. Opposite of that. So I, I just run on inspiration and off the seat of my pants. So, you know, it might be kind of a tough sell for me to go out there and and work in that environment where you got guys like Satriani and Pai. Yeah. Where machines, you know, prodigies to, to be able to, to be the right guy for that. I don't know if I would be, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you still doing um, uh, KXM with oh, yeah. uh, Ray on, and Doug? Yeah, we're working on the fourth record now. We've got three and a half nice. songs to it. Um, in the fall, I start working on a third Sweet and Lynch record. Oh, great. Solo instrumental record called Seamless coming out this summer and on Rat Pack Records. And then yeah. I have a project that's an industrial project, industrial-esque project I've been working wow. on for a bunch of years called The Banishment with Tommy Victor from Prong and Devix yeah. and Hayes, a uh, big uh, industrial remix guy that's been my partner in this. And that's yeah. called Banishment. That's almost finished and coming out sometime this year as well. Um, so we've got a lot of things in the pipeline. How do you keep that drive when you're, you know, you're putting out your such great work and so much of it in so many different projects. How do you keep that going even after a long career or does it just come naturally? I look at it like this. It's like, if I had a job where I had to actually do something, <laughs> air conditioner or, yeah, yeah. or go deliver stuff or work in an office, I would have to go there and like really work hard. I mean, you know, yeah. do stuff like that. I mean, go uh, put somebody's fence up. Okay. I got to <laughs> stuff, I gotta dig the holes. I got to. That's what we're doing today. I got to know what I'm doing. I have to yeah. have all the holes. I have to get out there, bust my ass. And by the time I drag my ass home, I'm going to be really freaking tired. Yeah. Probably not have enough energy to do much else. Maybe take a shower and have wife will make me dinner and watch it yeah, yeah. and go to sleep and do it again the next day, every single day. Okay. Now me, I sit here. I'm not wearing any pants, by the way. <laughs> and I'm got my No clock. one on Zoom is. Nobody on I, Zoom is. I've even left the house today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm doing some Zoom interviews. Yeah, yeah. Are, you know, woohoo, it's so hard. Oh, my fingers are so, oh, look at the blister on my finger. <laughs> little baby. So, uh, yeah. So I try to be really responsible 
towards my the fact that I'm lucky enough to be able to do this. So I, yeah. I pay that by working really hard, you know, to serve the the passion I've been given you know, yeah. with and uh, and be productive, you know, yeah. and responsible and like like make it like a job, like work, you know, work that I love, but be productive and give people what they want, you know, and yeah. challenge them in some ways and some ways just, you know, just keep them, you know, keep feeding the whatever it is that I'm supposed to be producing. You know? Yeah, for and sure. I, all I can do, you know, to show my appreciation for the, the, the position that I've been you know, in life that I, I'm fortunate enough to have. Mm. Well, sir, it's been an, that's a beautiful note to end it on. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to speak to you. Hopefully we can do it again uh, on the road. Yeah, yeah, there's that coming up, hopefully. Okay, yeah, later this year. Where are you at? Uh, London. Oh. Well, fingers crossed, maybe next year you can come back. Bring, yeah. bring uh, you know, the end phase over, end machine over. Yeah, 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 I would love to. All right, well, Kamel, thank you very much for having me on your show. And thank you, sir. It's been a huge pleasure. Good luck. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Steal the ball,